Luke chapter 13. We'll be in verses 22 through verse 30 this morning. I don't know if uh, any of you have uh, nightmares or bad dreams, uh, but I was thinking this week, um, worst dream ever. Worst dream that any of us could ever have is this. You wake up, you're in utter darkness, there's burning fire, you're in agony, you're in torment, there's no rest day or night, just continually burning around you. The wrath of God the Father, His anger is being poured out upon you. And in a distance, you can see the light and the glory of heaven. It's far off, and it is quite a ways away. And you see people who are gathered, and they are feasting at a table. And you see Jesus in a distance, and you call out and you say, Jesus, I know you. And He says... I don't know who you are. Go away into a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth eternally. Quite a nightmare to have, right? The worst one you could ever have. But yet it's something that's the reality that many in this world will face one day. As we look at Luke chapter 13, the words of Jesus are quite sobering for us this morning. And the big idea for the text is this. Examine the condition of your soul and enter through the narrow door before it is too late. Look with me at verse 22 of Luke chapter 13. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying through toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out and people will come from the east and west and from the north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. The word of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to this moment this morning in your words and we hear the words from your son to all of us. Father, we ask this morning that you would help us to be people who are examining our hearts, examining our souls. Father, we ask that those who are outside and have not passed through the narrow door, we pray that today is the day that they enter through. And Father, for all who have entered through the narrow door and are walking with you, we pray that today is a day of great urgency in their hearts, in their souls, in their minds to strive to walk with you and also to declare the good news of the narrow door to the many. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross. 
And Holy Spirit, we ask this morning that you would open up our eyes and ears and hearts to the truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus is traveling, as we've been seeing in Luke, and he's going to Jerusalem. Uh, He's mentioned this a couple times. His journey ends in Jerusalem. And as he's doing that, we see a question that is asked of him by a person in the crowd, which is the first point in verses 22 through 24. How many will be saved? How many will be saved? It says in verse 23, someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? I wonder, have you ever asked God that question before? Have you ever asked God, how many people are really going to make it into heaven? Or have you asked the opposite? God, how many are going to make it the end of their life into hell? How many will be separated from you? It's almost a thought of, in a sense, of asking a question, Jesus, how, what's the percentage of how many people make it into heaven? According to statistics today, there's 7,800,000,000 people who live in this world. What if only 50% of those people in the world today make it to heaven? 3,900,000,000 people. Or what about 25% of all the people who walk the face of the earth now? That's only 1,950,000,000 people. Or let's bring it to home here in the city of Missoula. There's approximately 75,000 people that call Missoula their home that live here in this place. Out of 75,000 people, if only 50% of people in Missoula go to heaven today, that means 37,500 would go to hell. Let's take it down a step. What about 10%? That means 7,500 would make it to heaven. Well, some of the best demographics that I was able to look at over the last two years say that 13.5% of people in Missoula came to claim to be a born-again Christian. Now, we know in, that, in those sometimes these statistics, just because someone says they're a Christian doesn't mean that they're a Christian, but let's say that that demographic is correct. Approximately 10,000 people in Missoula today, if they died, would go to heaven, and 65,000 would die and go to hell today. Some of your best friends, some of your family members, some of your coworkers, some of the students you go to school with, some of your teachers, some of your neighbors, some of the people at the gym, wherever you may go, if 65,000 people died and went to hell today, would that even matter at all? How do you receive the sobering words of Jesus this morning? When he's asked, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And instead of Jesus giving an answer and saying, well, here's how many people are going to make it in. He calls for an examination of their soul instead of saying, hey, don't waste time on trying to guess how many people are going to be saved. It's time to turn and repent and believe in Jesus. And so instead of giving an answer, he gives a command and he gives a command with great urgency. And this is what you need to pay attention to. And it's in verse 24. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. The word of God makes it clear that there is only one way of salvation for anyone. There's only one way to be with the heavenly father. There's only one way to eternal peace. There's only one way for eternal joy. Only one way to heaven. And he says it's through 
the narrow door. Oh, what is the narrow door? The narrow door is Jesus Christ. The narrow door is Jesus Christ and the work that he's done on the cross. You see, at the cross, Jesus Christ was nailed there where he hung and he bled and he died. But as his blood was shed, it was shed for a reason. And it wasn't just being crucified with some criminals and a death that he died because the Pharisees wanted him dead. He gave up his life. He was sent on a mission by the Father because of God's great love for his people. And there he died on the cross. And he died in the place that you were to be nailed to. He died in the place of punishment that you were to receive. The wrath of the Father poured upon him that was meant for you, Jesus took. And there the blood that was shed doesn't just pass over some sins or cover up some sins, but because he gave up his life and he died the death of the sacrificial lamb once and for all, that blood is able to take away completely the sins of all who come to faith in Jesus Christ. And there he bled and there he died and he was buried in a tomb. And the third day he arose, conquering Satan, conquering sin and conquering death so that all those who believe in him would be saved. You see, Jesus Christ and the work on the cross is the narrow door. If you turn to John chapter 10, there are other ways that Jesus explains that he is the only way that anyone can be saved. John chapter 10 is one of those places. And in John chapter 10, verse 7, he says, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. When you read John chapter 10, where Jesus says that he is the good shepherd, he is the great shepherd who cares for his people, the sheep, you have this picture that he is the door that guards the sheep. Therefore, Satan, the demons, false teachers, no one can enter in and take any of the sheep, he says, out of his hand or out of the father's hand because Jesus is God. And therefore, when we read back in Luke chapter 13, Jesus is the one who is the narrow door, and he says to strive through that narrow door. It's important for you to understand, if you do not understand this, that in this world, we no longer believe that there is any absolute truth. Because when I say absolute truth, I'm speaking about the authoritative word of God, that God has given us his words recorded for us by the Holy Spirit so that we would have it for not only the gospel, the saving gospel of Jesus Christ that we can come to faith in Christ through, but that we have for all of life and for all of godliness and how to live our life. God has given us that. But this world does not believe that this is the absolute truth. Go out and tell someone who's not a believer this week that, hey, here is the truth, the only absolute truth. It's Jesus Christ crucified, risen again. And someone will probably tell you that's good that you believe that. But you can't tell me that that is absolute truth. That's good for you. But don't impose your religion on me. 
That's what our world resorts to in this world today. Maybe at some people, some point, people believed in absolute truth, but we do not as a world believe in absolute truth. Only those who are in Christ do. And the reason why our world so fights against the absolute truth of the word of God is that the world hates Jesus Christ. The the world hates Christ and hates Christians because Satan hates Christ and hates Christians and the demons hate Christ and hate Christians. And therefore, Jesus teaching that there's only one way, the narrow door, Jesus Christ crucified and risen again, that it causes great anger to this world because this world says, how dare you say that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation? What about the people who believe in this God? And what about the people who believe in this God? Don't all those gods at some point lead everyone to God? Really, that's what I believe. And it's lies that are spewed by the enemy in this world today. And it's something that, unfortunately, is impacting the Christian church in powerful and mighty ways. That the lies of Satan are entering in. And more and more we hear people who claim to be Christians saying that there are many ways that people can come to God and they reject they reject the clear word of God. They they reject the clear word of Jesus Christ that he is the only way. John chapter 14 verse 6 John chapter 14 verse 6 And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through who? Except through me. Who's the me? Who was that? So Jesus Christ is the narrow gate. He's the way. He's the truth and the life. The only way to God the Father. It's important that you not only hear that. It's important that you know that. And that you do what Jesus says here. He says in verse 24. Look back in Luke. Strive to enter through the narrow door. Now you need to be very clear because some people would read this and say, okay, strive. That means I need to do something to get in, right? Would you think that when you read that? It says strive. And usually striving means to go do something. Well, here it says strive to enter through the narrow door. Well, in our study of Luke, Jesus has already given us an understanding of what striving to enter through the narrow door means. In Luke chapter 13 is one of those verses. In Luke chapter 13, verse 3, Jesus repeats himself twice in those first few verses. He says in verse 3, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He repeats himself again in that text there, beginning in Luke 13. And we saw this emphasis that Jesus calls people to repent of their sins. But there's no way you can repent of your sins without the work of the Holy Spirit revealing the truth to you that you are a wicked sinner. And some people just hate to hear that word wicked with it. Can you just say sinner, Pastor? Why do you have to say wicked? Well, the word of God says that all mankind are wicked enemies, sinners. Wow. That's a harsh thing. But it's the truth of God's word. 
You go, man, why are you so down on us this morning? I'm not down on you. This is Jesus' words. I know that some of you are like, I want to come today to hear about the great, wonderful blessings of God on my life. And I just want to leave with joy and, and go out and say, you know, it's like, hey, if you're a follower of Christ, if you've entered the narrow door, would you read Ephesians chapter one. Yes, reflect every day on the wonderful spiritual blessings of God upon your life, that you have an inheritance waiting for you in heaven. The Holy Spirit has sealed your heart and lives in you now, and you can walk in holiness and righteousness. Yes, rejoice in those things. But don't miss the sobering words of Jesus. And if you're a follower of Christ, it should do everything to cause urgency in your heart to, re- to look at your heart and also be driven to share the gospel with other people because he says many will not enter the narrow gate, the narrow door. And so how do you strive again? It's by repenting of sins. But also in Luke chapter 8 is the other place that we spent time a while back in the parable of the sower. And in Luke chapter 8, it had the farmer who's spreading the seed and it falls on the hard path and it falls on the rocky path and the path with the weeds and it fell on the good path. And it said that, hey, the hard path, the rocky path and the, um, the weeds They never produced fruit. They all withered. They all died. Only the fruit that, only the seed that landed the good soil produced fruit. Well, if you look at Luke chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus helps us understand this striving into the gate. It says, The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So you need to repent of your sins, but you need to believe in Jesus Christ and the work he did on the cross and the empty grave and that he's risen and he's returning again. That is the key to enter the narrow door, believing in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, repenting of your sins and asking for forgiveness. That's how you enter in. And I pray that all of you have already entered in. And I pray that all of you are continuing to walk in holiness and righteousness, waiting for the day of the return of Christ. But if you're here and you have not entered the narrow door of Jesus Christ, listen to what God is speaking to you from his word. And don't wait, but respond in faith today. Look back at Luke chapter 13, verse 24. It says, strive to enter the narrow door. What does it say? For only a couple people? Is that what it says there? How many? Many. A lot of people. I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus has similar other, other words that he says in regards to this. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. When you think of some of these words that Jesus is stating, I don't know about you, but doesn't it sound fearful? 
when you read those things that a person would be turned away from heaven? Doesn't it seem a fearful thing to think that many people are not going to enter through the narrow gate, the narrow door? When you hear these things and you think of these things, that's why at the beginning I said, this is the worst dream, nightmare ever. But it's the reality for many people who reject Jesus as Lord. And so what Jesus does is he goes on and he teaches this point with a parable. We've been seeing this every chapter. Jesus has a teaching and he puts a parable with something for people to understand. And so if you look at verses 25 through 28, the second point is, I do not know you. Verse 25, when the master of the house is risen and shut the door, you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. It is very clear from Jesus' teachings, as we've already seen in Luke and as we see here, there is a day coming of judgment. And that day is the day when the door, the narrow door of salvation will be shut. The door of grace and mercy through Jesus Christ will be closed. It will no longer be open to sinners after that point. And this week, as I thought about that door being closed, I thought about Noah. You ever read about Noah? Genesis chapter 6. It says that God saw the earth and anyone and everyone did only wickedness. Like, wow, that's a great way to start that chapter. That's what God saw. But they saw Noah, this man who feared God. He said, Noah, I'm going to destroy the world. I'm going to send a flood. I'm going to kill everyone, every animal, all the plants. So build an ark. When I was reading through that this week, again, it was amazing to see how God directed things and set the animals there and they filled up the ark and Noah's family went in. But you don't have any verse anywhere where it says that anyone came up and said, Noah, I want to join you. No one. And it says in Genesis chapter 7, I believe in verse 15 or 16, it says that the Lord shut them in. The Lord closed the door of the ark. And no one else gathered there. And, and, and a few days later, you know, it says this point, seven days later, it says that it started to rain. I don't know how many people heard the warnings of Noah. I don't know how many people, but they, no, one, no one wanted to get in the ark. But it started raining. The, gra- the ground breaks open. Water starts gushing forward. And I wonder how many people were there near and were running to the ark. I don't, we don't know. I wonder how many people were living on the earth at that time. A few thousand, a few million, a couple billion. But to think that God flooded the earth, the complete earth, every single man, woman, child, animal, plant, died. And that ark was a vessel of salvation. For Noah and his family and the animals that God sent in there. And Jesus Christ, the narrow door, is the vessel of salvation for all who would believe in him and be saved. The grace of God. Because God could have just wiped out Noah and all the animals and started over. But to think of how many people 
died when that flood came? How many of those people went to their eternity in hell? Again, Jesus says that's not what to focus on. It's not to count numbers. But there is a day that the narrow door will be closed. The master will not open the door for the people. But some people might say, but wait, you know what? I know Jesus. Well, many people in this world would claim they know Jesus. I mean, look at what he says here in verse 26 and 27 here, the parable says, then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. I mean, you got to remember where Jesus is at. There's crowds that are around him. And some of them, it's that sense of like, hey, Jesus, we went to the Pharisee's house with you. We ate with you that night. And Jesus, you came to our synagogue. Remember that woman with the crippled over back and you healed her? We were with you. We heard all your teachings. We were with us. We were with you, Jesus. We know you. Verse 27, but he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Twice, once in verse 25, verse 27, Jesus says, the master house says, I don't know you. But Jesus, but master, we know you. I went to church a few times. I almost read the whole Bible. I gave some money. I went on a mission trip. Oh, I used to help at that community service type of event. Jeez, I did all these. I even, you know, I I even prayed a few times. And I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Again, turn to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What if I told you this morning that I know a retired NFL Rams football player. If I also told you that I know an NHL hockey all-star player, and I also know the best basketball player ever, Michael Jordan, would you believe me? Some of you are like, I don't know. Well, if Michael Jordan came in here and walked up on stage and gave me a hug and said, hey, Paul and I, we go back years. You know, we used to play uh, basketball together, you know, outside, whatever. You'd be like, wow, that's cool. You see, in my office, I've got a picture of Michael Jordan that's got a signature on it. I don't know Michael Jordan. I've got a picture of Wayne Gretzky. It even says, to Paul, from Wayne Gretzky. I know Wayne Gretzky. No, actually, my dad got it signed for me and brought it to me as a gift. There's another, there's an NFL retired football player that's in my office. It says to Paul and Kelly, and I can't remember what it says, God bless or whatever. Now, I've got to shake hands with him twice, but if he came in the room, I'd have to remind him, remember, you know my family over, or this family over here that knows me. I can claim all that I want that I know all these people. 
But if they walked in the door, they'd be like, who's that guy? Oh, he must be a pastor up there. They wouldn't even know who I am. But yet, how many people claim to know Jesus and he has no idea who they are because they believe that he was a historical figure? They believe in Jesus when they need him? How many people said, Jesus, if you just get me out of this, I'll follow you. Yet he says, I don't know who you are. You're just a worker of evil. Get away from me. There's a vast difference between knowing someone and knowing of someone. Knowing Jesus, living in Jesus, abiding in Jesus, and Jesus abiding in you, and just knowing of Jesus. But those who fail to enter the narrow door is disastrous end or maybe eternity to their life is what I mean. The narrow door and their failure to enter through leads to their eternal life separated from God in eternal torment. It says in verse 28, back in the text here, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets of the kingdom of God, but you yourself cast out. When the door is shut, the place outside of where the master is, is weeping and gnashing of teeth eternally. People in torment. The Word of God describes this place in many descriptions. Here's some of them. The outer darkness, the fiery furnace, the unquenchable fire created for the devil and his angels, hell, Hades, the lake of fire, the place where the wicked and dead go. I could go on with the descriptions, but we're talking about hell that was created for Satan and created for the demons to punish them for what they have done against rising up against God. But... God also sends those who have rejected Jesus, the narrow door, to that place of eternal torment for all of eternity. And what it indicates here in verse 28, look at it here, is that those in hell will be able to see in some way the eternal blessings of God on his people. You get this picture here and also the parable in Luke chapter 16, which we will come to soon. The rich man and Lazarus, that Lazarus and the rich man die and the uh, and Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom, the place where believers go. And um, the rich man goes to hell. And in this great chasm, he sees Abraham. He says, Lazarus, send Lazarus to me to touch my tongue with water. It's so hot here and I'm in torment. He said, there's no way you can't cross the gap. And he said, well, then send someone to to my brothers and tell my family that they need to believe. And he's like, no, they have the prophets. They have Jesus. If they don't believe them. There's nothing that they'll believe. It doesn't matter if someone comes back from the dead. But in these two parables that Jesus teaches, we don't know the exact details, but we do see that after death and judgment, that everyone has an awareness of their eternity. It's not this thing of just dying and going to hell and then not existing anymore. It's eternal conscious torment. The everlasting wrath and judgment of God or the eternal blessings of God. Entering through the narrow gate or rejecting the narrow gate 
And too many people think, I'll do it later. But you must ask the question, when will the door be shut of salvation and you'll be on the outside knocking and it will not be open to you? When will the door of grace be closed to you? After I get married, I'll I'll go through the narrow door. After After I finish college, I'll enter the narrow door. After I retire, I'll enter the narrow door. After I get this, this, and this accomplished and get all my my finances set up, then I'll enter through the narrow door. I'll go check out church. After we have kids, we'll get them all, you know, whatever. Too many people think that, yet the next day they die. We don't know when Christ is returning. No one knows but God the Father. But Christ said he is returning and we're to be ready and waiting. And therefore, the only way to truly do that is enter through the narrow gate, waiting for the return of Christ. And so in the last two verses here, the third point we see is this question of who will be first and who will be last. Because what Christ gives is the answer in this sense of for repentance and belief, this picture of what needs to happen so you can enter through the narrow door. Look at verse 28. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, verse 29, and people will come from the east and the west and from north and south and recline at the table of the kingdom of God. So the people that the crowd that were around Jesus, some of them may have been disturbed by what Jesus is saying there. He's saying to those people who are Jews, he's like, hey, you're going to be out And you're going to see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You're going to see the prophets. Hey, and also, though, you're going to see people from the north, south, and east, and west. And and I I could imagine some of them, specifically, maybe some of the religious leaders being quite ticked off. Wait, we're out? We're God's people. Wait, why is only Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the prophets there? Wait, those other nations, those Gentile dogs, they're getting in and you're saying we're out? That's really this kind of a sense of a picture that could have been happening with some of the people there. But it describes this table in heaven, this place of great joy, this place of celebration, this place of being with the Savior, where the people of God are there for eternity, worshiping the Lord God Almighty, the Lamb who sits on the throne and worshiping Him eternally. Salvation belongs to our God. And Jesus says, that's what's going to happen. And you're going to be out. And you're going to see it, but you're going to take no part in it. You're going to call out and say, Master, we know you. And the Master's going to say, go away. I have no idea who you are. Well, here's the key. Jesus gives the key here in verse 30. For those who would even come to the point of repentance, for those who would come to the point of belief, faith in Jesus Christ, verse 30 says, And behold, some are last who will be first. Some are first who will be last. Jesus repeats this in a number of his teachings that are recorded in the Gospels. And what he is trying to teach is that there is no way in your sinful, prideful self that you will ever turn to belief in Jesus Christ. Therefore, your pride must go. All of our sin, the root of all of our sin, you name any and every sin, the root of all of it is pride. We want to please ourselves and not do what God would have us, who's holy. 
We are not. Therefore, all the sin that we do is rooted in our pride. And therefore, he says, if you would be saved, if you would enter in, the pride must go. You must be humbled. And the only way that that can happen is by the power of the Holy Spirit, opening your eyes, your ears, your minds, your heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that you would see yourself and say, whoa, what a wretched sinner am I. Jesus, I believe in you. Would you please receive me? Would you please forgive me? If you are already a follower of Jesus Christ, I will remind you as we see this passage, especially as we read those last few verses, is that as a believer, a follower of Christ, never estimate your value by how many good works you've done in your life. Instead, you are to serve, use your gifts among the body of Christ out of a heart of gratitude as a response to God's grace upon your life and his love for you. I'm sure that there, there's always someone, because I run, I run into this, all, there's always someone who would hear some message like this today and say, man, you really don't, you're really not talking about a loving God. And many in our world would say that. A loving God sending anyone to hell, man, that's not a loving God. I don't want any part of that type of God. Let me read to you Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. God says through the prophet Ezekiel, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? It says that God takes no pleasure when any wicked person dies. He doesn't want any to die and perish and go to hell. Again, he created hell for Satan and the demons. But all who fail to enter through the narrow door, all who reject Jesus Christ, will find themselves in that place. If you look back in Luke chapter 13, look a few verses ahead of where we stopped. Jesus Christ is warned by the Pharisees and say, hey, Jesus, Herod wants to kill you. You better get out of here. He's like, yeah, I'm going to be going soon the next day. On my own time, I'm going to be going. But you have this picture of God's great care and love for people, even for those who reject him, his heart here. It says in verse 27 of Luke 13. Sorry, not verse 27, verse 34. O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. You see farther on in Luke when Jesus enters Jerusalem and he overlooks the city, he begins to weep because he knows that the people reject him. He knows the future that they will face. And I believe that God is grieved when people die in their wickedness. But he gives a warning. He has given multiple warnings. And he has told people the way to salvation is through Christ, through the narrow door. And so we go back to where we began. The big idea this morning is examine the condition of your soul and enter through the narrow door before it is too late. And so I ask you the question I ask every week is how should I apply this in my life? Ask yourself this, when will the narrow door be shut to salvation? Don't wait, because it may be shut tonight. 
Don't wait because it may be shut in an hour. Don't wait because it may be shut before uh, next year. Don't wait because you don't know when the door of Jesus Christ will be shut. Examine your heart and your soul today. Have you entered the narrow door of Jesus Christ? If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, praise God that you've entered the narrow gate. I pray that this passage, though, Jesus' words, would stir up an urgency in your spirit. That it would stir up an urgency for you to continue to walk in holiness and strive in God's word and the Holy Spirit empower you and continue to work on your life and grow you in Christ. But that it would also stir up in you an urgency to declare the saving gospel of Jesus Christ to the many who are going to perish and die in their sins and be separated for God for all, all eternity. And so for the Christian... And also for the non-Christian, here it is. The question is a a verse in 2 Corinthians 13, which says, verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Are you in Christ? Is Christ in you today as you sit here? I pray that he knows you. And that you know him. Second Corinthians chapter six, verses one and two says, working together with him. Then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you in a day of salvation. I've helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. As the worship team comes back up here and we prepare to take some bread and a cup this morning. The grace of God does not come by any work that you do. The grace of God does not come upon you. You do not enter the narrow gate by anything that you say or anything you do. It's all a work of God. It's all the grace of God. Because if you had any way to do the work yourself, it would no longer be grace. Therefore, if you are in Christ today, praise God. Rejoice in Christ. Because in a moment we take bread and cup together, rejoicing in that together. But for those who may not be in Christ today, as I just read from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, he calls that you would repent because the day of judgment is coming. The day of salvation, the narrow door may be shut soon. And therefore, enter in, believe in Christ, repent of your sins, and you will be saved. Father, we ask that in this moment, as we prepare to take a piece of bread and we prepare to take a cup together, we want to be a people who are faithful to you. And so, Father, we pray that you would see um, that we desire this in our hearts. Father, for those who are followers of Christ, I pray that this moment together is a sweet moment, that it is a moment of unity, a moment with you, a moment that you're with us, a moment of obedience to what you've called us to do. And Father, I pray for any who are far off, any who are standing outside the narrow door, that today would be the day of salvation for them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.